talking about trusting Scripture over this last little while. And trusting Scripture means that I don't trust myself. It means I don't look at the world around me. I don't try to interpret what's going on in the world around me with my own knowledge and my own understanding. It means I take the knowledge and the understanding that the Bible has for me, and I use it to interpret everything happening in the world. Everything happening in my life, not even way out there, but what's happening to me. And I use that to do so. But how do you do that if you actually don't trust Scripture? And so we've been looking at that over this for the last little while. How do we actually trust Scripture? And today we're looking at who is the hero of the Bible. Because we all had childhood heroes. Maybe there were people that we looked up to. Or people that we saw from afire that we just uh, we thought we, they were inspiring. Or maybe they were on the, the silver screen if you're from that generation. Or the tablet screen if you're from a newer generation. Maybe you saw them in comic books or in fantasy or fictional writing. You saw heroes and you're like, they're awesome. You dressed up like them and you ran around the house trying to pretend to be them. But even as you've grown up, you've carried this idea of heroes with you. And we looked at heroes in culture, in our politics, in our arts. People who, who are going to be there for us to help change things from the way they are to the way they should be or could be. And we put our hope and we push all our chips into the table and hope, man, they better be the one. I put put my election ballot on this person and they better be the one that lowers my taxes or saves this from happening or ends this issue. We look for them to be the heroes or the saviors of our situation. Because as humans, we have this ache inside of us, this desire for someone who can save us. Someone who can help us get beyond the places in life that seem to be threatening us or blocking us. And whether it was imagining, you know, God-like mythical men in Greek stories or the various heroes that each culture has over the years, everyone, no matter where they are, has this idea and this yearning for some type of heroic person to save them. And even in the midst of having heroes embedded in who we are, we still ask, well, what is a hero? What is this person that I'm looking to help me and get me through these tough moments? And for a brief moment, my kids looked to a masked cucumber as their hero. (laughs) A cucumber that had plungers for ears. Larry Boy was that hero. If you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. Because he was a hero that had flaws, didn't he? He was a cucumber masquerading around as a hero. That's already should tell you that there's some flaws in this storyline. But most heroes that we do have, especially the fictional ones, they have flaws, don't they? We give them flaws because they're made up. They're just, they're fabrics of our imagination. But we give them flaws because otherwise we can't relate to them. If they're perfect and they're, they're beyond us, then we're like, nah, whatever, that's not an interesting story. I need them to have flaws like me so I can see myself in who they are. Because I need to be able to see myself in who they are so I can see myself as a hero. 
Because when we read through things like that, who do we imagine ourselves as, right? In the storyline, we're always the hero. We don't dress up as the person under the bus that needs the bus lifted up to be pulled out, right? (laughs) Nobody's dressing up like that. Nobody's saying, let's play make-believe and I'm going to be the person in distress. No, we're the heroes of the story. And we create our heroes to look an awful lot like us. We find solace in that. We're also aware of what it looks like for our heroes to fail us, though. When we realize that dad isn't as strong as we thought he was, and he can't lift everything in the chicken coop. When we put people on a pedestal, and we esteem them, and they fall, or they fail to deliver, it breaks our heart, and it breaks our trust. So today we want to look at who is the hero of the Bible, so we can deepen our trust in Scripture. So again, we ask, what is a hero? And if you look it up, if you were to search it on uh, whatever digital platform you choose or whatever, you're going to find a list of qualities, characteristics, values, or ideals that make up what a hero is. And you'll read all the the usual answers that'll be in there. They're courageous, they're, they're humble, they're patient, or they have supernatural strength or whatever. No matter which which definition you look to or which understanding, where you go for the understanding, in the midst of all those different definitions and attributes, you're going to see a single common denominator in them all. And that's this, that they place themselves before others. The hero is the one that will put themselves at risk, will take on the enemy, will fight our battles for us. They'll be the ones holding the shield and taking us and putting this behind them while they face the enemy. The hero places a higher value on our safety and well-being over theirs. We can see them littered through the Bible. If you look through the Bible, you'll see characters in the Bible that seem to fit this situation. David acts heroic when he's facing Goliath. Moses saves Israel from Egypt and slavery. Samson defeats Philistines. Esther's for such a time as this moment is heroic. You see Stephen in the New Testament standing there declaring the word of Jesus even while people are picking up stones to throw at him and kill him. The Bible is a book filled with accounts where people place others before themselves. And yet it also shows how most of those people also failed miserably. David courageously defeated Goliath, and yet he couldn't defeat that internal giant of lust. Esther, she stepped into her destiny to save her people, yet she needed Mordecai to push her into that moment, didn't she? Samson couldn't, could defeat enemies with an animal bone, but he also broke his vow to God for a woman. Moses was literally meeting with God. He was God's hand extended to his people, doing supernatural acts, and yet he also decided to add his own flair to some of those moments. All of these moments have heroic elements of people placing themselves before others, yet there is only one who is the perfection of a hero, and that is Jesus. Why? Because Jesus doesn't only place others before himself, he takes our place altogether. 
See, God is holy, so holy that we must be pure and holy to even approach him. And what do I mean by that? What does it mean to be pure? It means we need to be untouched by sin. Because if we approach God unclean, it means our death. So the Bible sometimes refers to it like a refining fire. And you think of gold. Gold, when its mind doesn't look nice and shiny and perfect like this, it's got imperfections in it. And so it goes through a refining process, which includes heat and fire, and it melts away and burns away anything that's imperfect in the gold. And so, too, the Bible talks about it being like that for us, that we are refined. But if we were to approach God, if we were to approach God in our sin with our sinful nature, we couldn't handle it. There's not enough good in us to last that refining process. We need something. We need something. We need Jesus. Because Jesus, who is pure, untouched by sin, became sin so that we might be restored to God. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Sorry. Jesus is God, and yet his love for us leads him to not sit in his perfection. Because we read in Philippians 2, 6 to 8, he sa- it says this, who being in the very nature of God, this is talking about Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death and even death on a cross. And it was that death on a cross where he took on the sin of humanity. He became sin or the offering for our sin. And he didn't use his powers to save himself, but to save us. No one else we can name in the Bible, no matter how inspiring, amazing, no matter how often the in just the right timing stepped up or how critical their heroic act was in in saving people, or an incredible each person was, they were not qualified to take our place. We see too much of ourselves in them to be our heroes. When we as humans exchange God for a lie, sin enters our lives, and sin took the place that only God should have. The tree of knowledge of good and evil allowed Adam and Eve to exercise their free will. Every time they walked by that tree and chose not to eat, they could give control back to God. They could say, God, I love you and I trust you, until they didn't. From that moment, we see sin, physical and spiritual death, and creation under a curse. Humanity had a sinful nature in each of us has a broken relationship with God. But in that very moment, in that very moment where they took from that tree and went their own way, when we betrayed God's love and trust 
when we swapped God out for our own glory, God promised a hero, one who would be a wounded healer. Genesis tells us in that moment, he says, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. On the cross, the heel of Jesus was struck and bruised, but the serpent's head took a fatal crushing blow because the power of sin and the enemy was defeated by Jesus on the cross. And that's why Peter, one of Jesus' first disciples, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was able to see in that moment how the Old Testament that had been written from 400 to thousands of years before that moment, how the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. How specifically we could look in Psalm 118 and it spoke to who Jesus was and how he would come to seek and save the lost. Because in talking about what Jesus has done, Peter says this. He says this in Acts 4. He says, Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. That phrase right there that you see on the screen that, I guess I forgot maybe to put it in italics. The first part there where it says, the stone that was rejected, which has become the cornerstone. It's taken from Psalm 118. And they see that Jesus is the fulfillment of that. There is no salvation in no one else, and there, for there is no other name under heaven given among men which by, by which we must be saved. Jesus is the hero of the Bible. He's the only one that can fulfill what a hero needs to be. Jesus was the fulfillment of everything we are looking for. He was a prophetic answer God kept pointing to. He was the perfection we could never achieve on our own. Just looking at the Ten Commandments, if we're talking about perfection and trying to live out a perfect life, we won't look at all 613 laws in the Old Testament. We'll just, we'll just do ten right now. Jesus had no other gods before him, did he? He made no idol out of created things. He wasn't using his carpentry skills to create an idol to worship. He never misused the name of the Lord. Jesus kept the Sabbath holy as it was intended, not the way man had changed it. He honored his father and his mother. He didn't commit murder. He never committed adultery. He never stole. He never gave false testimony. And he never coveted. Again, Scripture points to him. In just a few passages we could look through, there's so many that we can see, but in Psalm 2, verse 8, it tells that Jesus is a king and a son. In Psalm 15, shows us that he walked blamelessly and does what is right. Psalm 51 declares that he makes our hearts clean and restores the joy of our salvation. In Psalm 16, 11, it says, Jesus is the ultimate manifestation of the presence of God, which is why we see Jesus saying, if you see me, then you've seen the Father. The collection of Psalms alone lists 14 different ways that we yearn for a hero, and that hero is Jesus. And in the New Testament, we see him fulfill every one of them. And like Israel in the Old Testament, 
Today, we long for salvation. We may use another word, redemption, justice, purity, wholeness, freedom, God's presence and unity and wisdom. We look for something like that. These things are actually, that we're longing for, they're not things. It's actually a person, Jesus. The world is looking in all the wrong places for what Jesus alone holds. Unlike anyone else, Jesus is the extraordinary, unmatched, qualified hero of the Bible. So what then is the issue? We can talk about Jesus filling this role. So why doesn't everyone embrace Jesus as our savior, as our hero? And for some, this talk of a hero, we're just not buying it. We're not buying it. We're saying heroes are overrated. I don't like hero movies. I don't like all those things like that. Don't watch them. Don't have time for them. Comic books never meant anything to me. Heroes are just a waste of time. That yearning that we talk of needing something, someone to save us, it's muted. Why? Because often we've become our own hero of the story. Like I was talking about earlier when I'm picking up a chicken coop thinking, I just got to get it done. We don't look for any heroes anywhere because we're the hero in our own story. We're just going to get it done. I don't need help from anybody. I can just do it myself. Thank you very much. Back off. And we take that and we apply it to our lives. We may not say those words directly, but that's exactly how we live. When we ask those questions, remember the questions that we went through at the beginning of the series? when we talked about how we see reality and how our worldview is formed, when answering those questions, we blow it off and go like, I got to figure it out. I can just put my head down and make my way and what does it matter? We're just going to go through it. We've become the hero. In this, we're still lost. We're sitting on a throne that doesn't belong to us. God is still calling us to accept his love even if we don't feel we need it. He's looking for us to humble ourselves and say, I can't do this. And not out of, not out of some failure and weakness because that's really what we are, but out of an understanding that God loves us so completely that every broken part of us, every part of us that fails us, that keeps pouring on that judgment on us, that he wants to lift it all so that we can have the freedom of living in his righteousness and his perfection. And say, many for others, maybe you do have a relationship with God. You haven't said, I'm going to do this on my own. I don't need God. Maybe you do have somewhat of a relationship with God. And for a variety of reasons, we still make this story about us. Too many of us followers absorb rather than deflect glory towards God. We steal the limelight from the true hero. Because Jesus didn't call uh, us to follow him saying that he, or I'm saying, or sorry, Jesus did call us to follow him saying that we are both salt and light. But he addressed what looking like salt and light was in the core of the issue of works and glory. Matthew 5, 14 to 16, it says this, you are the light of the world. 
a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, and nor do people take light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light for all in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now for some, some just want to hide away and have this little life with Jesus and just let me just go off by myself and, and do this and forget the scary world and the sin that so easily entangles. And we can be in Christ but also cover the work that Jesus is doing in our lives. And when we do this, when we do this, it has a profound effect on others. Because others who need to see the testimony of God's grace and work in your life, they're robbed of seeing it. They don't get to see somebody who has been transformed by the work of Jesus. It's hidden from their eyes. That curiosity that they have, that searching for a hero, they don't find it in you because it's hidden under a bushel. And yet the also opposite problem can also be true. People can see your good works, but if we absorb the glory and we make it about us rather than about deflecting the glory towards God, which means we testify or share, show Jesus, this robs people of seeing what God can do in their story. Because if you take the glory, then they see you as someone different than themselves. Someone that's on another level that they could never be like. That the work that God has done in you, you've claimed it as your own. This feels like it works until it doesn't. Until the pride and brokenness becomes too deep and that pedestal you are on, you fall from it. We could elevate our roles in the church to ensure that we have status, that we're seen as a part of the movers and shakers of the church, of the body of Christ. But Christ alone is the hero. Christ alone is the head of the church. And this isn't easy, but each of us has to situationally figure out how to position Jesus as the hero in our story. And the hero of our story when we're working through things, being refined by him, being open and frank about the work of God in your life, often telling people in plain ways, not over-spiritualizing it. And when we're at our best, we humbly go in God's grace. He is the why behind what you're doing. One of the best things we can do is learn to be able to talk about our relationship with God in all circumstances in humble and non-intrusive ways, to change our vocabulary and don't wash it for an unbelieving or non-believing audience. When we go into the workplace or out into the public, instead of switching it from, oh, I was so lucky to have something good happen in my life, to stay true to, like, I was so fortunate God blessed me with this opportunity. I had nothing going for me, but then I prayed and God gave me an opportunity instead of saying like, oh, I was lucky that I was able to do something. We don't need to avoid having one way of talking about how God moves in our lives. We can remove that bushel and let our light shine 
Not by being intrusive and saying, you got to know God and you got to know God and you need to repent, but rather just living our life, our life before people and saying, I'm only going the way I'm going is because Jesus has transformed me. That's how I live my life, transformed by God. And so what's the danger in making ourselves the hero in the story? Whether it be glory or grief, none of us is strong enough to carry both. We can't carry the glory and we can't carry the grief. We can't carry the problems and the weight of all this. We can't say, I'm going to do it on my own. We don't have the strength. And we can't handle the glory because it was never meant for us. What God intended for us was to hold and cling to his righteousness, not his glory. Christ is always enough. In him, we are enough to point others to him, being enough. And most times that is enough to say, man, what God did in me, he can do for you. Because most of the time, all we're doing is introducing people to Jesus. In him, we have the ability to speak Jesus to a lost and broken world without being hypocritical. And in him, we can share how one has laid down his life for ours. Jesus is the hero of the story. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you, God, that in our moments where we turn our backs and say, I'm going to do this on my own. I want the glory. Or I want to do this. I want to do this alone. And I don't want to submit to him, but anybody else's ways. God, you're fully prepared for that. You're fully prepared to love us even in our brokenness. Because you made a way through Jesus for us to be restored. So God, I just pray if there's anyone here today that is yet to make you the hero of their story, who's yet to call on you and say, God, I need you. I can't do this in my own strength. Every other hero I've looked to in life, every other thing, process, idea, philosophy, person I've looked to to try and save me has failed. But Jesus, today I want to trust you that you will never fail me. That your love never fails. And if you're here today, and you've never accepted Jesus, today is your moment to put your trust in him. So God, right now we just pray that you would lead us and guide us in all truth. That Jesus, you would be the hero of our story, both individually and collectively. God, that you would get all the glory. God, that we would just learn to walk in your ways, follow you, 
and let you do the things that you need to do. That you will be our shield. We thank you, God, for that. We thank you, God, that you are our hero. And God, for those of us, we've been trying to follow you, but we continually try to do it on our own, hide it, or maybe even have tried to steal some of your glory. God, we repent before you. We repent from hiding who you are from a world lost and broken. We repent from taking the credit for things that you've done in our lives that we have not been able to do on our own. May you get the glory today. Yeah.